today's today's reading comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 15 through 20 see I set before you today life and prosperity death and destruction for I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in obedience to him to keep his commands decrees and laws then you will live and increase and the Lord will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if you turn your hearts away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the things that I get to do from time to time is take an airplane. I don't do it too often, but when I do, I enjoy, well, I don't enjoy myself because I can't afford first class. So I'm always wedged in there between two or three people, and I, I usually get hit by the drink cart as it goes down the aisle, and I always uh, have re wrestled three or three children through uh, security and it always ends up being a nightmare but towards the end of the flight it seems like and I can't remember which airline does this but there's always a stewardess who uh, gets on the the microphone and goes we know that you've had a choice of who you're flying with thank you for choosing to fly with us and as I, as I hear our scripture today, that resonates with me. The author of Deuteronomy is kind of saying, we know that you have a choice. We know that you have a choice. And in our consumer-heavy culture that we live in today, it shouldn't surprise us that we have choices. That every day is made up with an infinite number of choices that we make, things that we decide, things that we either dismiss as insignificant or think of as major. But all of these choices come together and coalesce into making us who we are. I think we make so many choices in our modern day and have so many choices available to us that we don't appreciate the actual power of a choice. We're far too cavalier with the decisions that we make, acting as if all of these choices won't affect our life in a tangible way. We constantly fret over insignificant things and we flippantly approach things that are life changing. And today the author of Deuteronomy shares with us some of the insights that that he has about choices that we make. There are big decisions in our life that have to be made. 
And today's language, if we read Deuteronomy in the fashion that it's supposed to be read and see what's happening here in this, the 30th chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses is laying out for us through God. God is laying out through Moses, uh, in other words. He's laying out to us contract language. It's a contract. I'm about to give you something, and you have to choose to follow me. I'm going to do this so you can do that. And if you do this, this will happen. You know it's contract language because about halfway through the Deuteronomy text, uh, the author talks about witnesses. And in the Old Testament world, witnesses were necessary for a contract and the fulfillment of said contract. So this covenant language, this contract language says to us, here is a major decision that the people of God have to make. It may seem silly to us, but the, the Deuteronomy's author says what? Here's the choice you have before you. It's a simple choice. It seems like an obvious choice. Were you paying attention when, when, when it was being read? What's the choice between two things? What are they? Okay, go back and read it. Open your Bible. Go to 30. Read chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. See before you. In fact, let's read it and see if you figure out what the choice is. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. What are the choices? Life and prosperity, death and destruction. So the author's presenting like somebody's going to look at it and go, hmm. I think I'll pick death and destruction. Death and destruction for 500, Alex. Today, that's my choice. Now we look at it and we think to ourselves, of course, everybody's going to choose life. Everybody's going to choose prosperity. Um, why is there not a better question to give than that? Everybody's going to choose life. But I ask you this, in a world full of promises, why are there so many broken people? In a world where the choice is life and prosperity or death and destruction, why do so many people seem to be careening towards death and destruction? One would assume that promises offered covenants offered contracts offered you would have to Give something good in order to get people's allegiance, get people's energy, get people's effort. And yet we still have people choosing death and destruction. What's the disconnect? What's the problem? When I was growing up, TV didn't always have stuff to fill the, the void of time. If how many children... I'm going to take you way back. There was a time when television went off at night and the American flag would show up. Y'all remember that? And they would play the national anthem just to send you off to bed in a patriotic mood, I guess. I don't, I don't understand what it was. Uh, uh, I, I never, my, my grandfather would get up and cover his heart and watch the flag fly. And then the television would go off. Nowadays, if that happened, our children would think the zombie apocalypse had happened. And, and, and that you needed to run for the hills. And 
and hunker down. But it used to go off. But in the morning, they wouldn't always have programming to fill the time. And so they would sell moments of infomercials. Y'all remember that? Moments with a mop that would do something fantastic or the, the dehydrator where you could make your own jerky or uh, fruit roll-ups. Any of y'all make your own fruit roll-ups? You shouldn't have. They make them. They taste good at the store. Don't make terrible natural fruit roll-ups. Or they would sell the sandwich maker, all this, and they would make all these fantastic claims. If you use OxyClean, you can get the blood that came from a murder out of your clothes, and the police will never be able to catch you. That kind of thing. And they would go through a 30-minute commercial, or if they were really selling it, they'd do this. And all the time, they would be saying one fantastic claim after another. And just when you thought they were finished, they'd say what? But wait, there's more. When it finally got to the end, you were so revved up on, wait, there's more, wait, there's more. And you'd go, tell me more, tell me, yes, I've got the phone, I've dialed the number, I'm on hold, but wait, there's more. And it would get to the end of the commercial, and then somebody would start talking real fast. These claims are not meant to to promote dehydrators. These claims are not meant to get blood out of clothes. These claims are not meant for this. You know, this commercial is not a product of this station. Da, 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 da. Some exclusions apply. That's how I realized you can't get sued as long as you end the commercial by saying what? Some exclusions apply. See, here's what I think. We have lived in a world full of promises from a lot of different things. A lot of different things, a lot of different places, a lot of different sources, and all of these promises come up to us, and we hear all of their, but wait, there's more, but we never get to the some exclusions apply part. So we've left disappointed. We've given our allegiance and our effort and our time and our energy to things that have exclusions that lead to death, friends. So when our lives are in shambles, what might we learn from this? I think all of these promises, some well-intentioned and some malicious, always have the same result, and that's destruction, because we have chosen poorly. We've chosen poorly. Every time I say that, I think about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. They're picking between the Holy Grail uh, and Indiana Jones is trying to save his father. And there's all these beautiful cups set up. And the bad guys go over there and they're trying to pick the cup of Christ. And they pick the one with all the jewels and all the this and all the that. And they take the water and they get it and they drink it. And it's supposed to give them eternal life. And then that dude turns into a skeleton and his face falls off. And the knight looks at him and says, you have chosen poorly. And I go, what an understatement. His skin fell off. You have chosen poorly. I go, you probably should have said that before his skin fell off. And then Indiana Jones goes around and he finds the most plain looking cup made out of wood. He takes it, he drinks out of it. And then the knight looks at him and goes, you have chosen wisely. Friends, we live in a world where folks are dying all around us. And, and, and Moses would look at him and go, you have chosen wisely. Poorly. 
You have chosen death and destruction and not life and prosperity. And what leads to those things? I think we need to realize with all of our choices, um, the fine print is often where we fall short. It's often where we fall short. We don't know what we're agreeing to when we agree to it. When we have all of these options thrown at us in life, all of these things where we have to choose, we choose poorly because we don't know all the fine points. I was at uh, St. Mark's and I had helped the youth minister do a thing of confirmation and we were at the, the final dinner with the parents and the children and we were going through what confirmation Sunday would look like. If you don't know what confirmation is, it's a Christianity course and a Methodist course where we talk about Jesus and give them an opportunity to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and join the church. And we had one uh, young lady who was fired up about Jesus. She had heard about Jesus her whole life. She had been to church her whole life. She had heard about him in confirmation. She said, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to join the church. And then we told the parents and the youth, okay, this is confirmation Sunday. It is such and such day. And the girl was excited and she told her father and her mother, we got to make sure everybody's here. I'm fixing to give my life to Christ. I'm about to make this decision. And her father looked at her and goes, now remember so-and-so, you have a soccer tournament that day. And you watched her get a little dis disheartened. And he goes, now remember, you made a commitment to your team. And he was the coach of the team. He said, you made a commitment to your team and you don't want to let your teammates down. And that little sixth grade girl rocked back in her chair. Sixth graders can put us in our place. And she looked at her father and she said, you made a commitment before God in this church when you had me baptized as an infant. That you would raise me up. In the church to get to this point right here. A sixth grader was telling him that. And she said, I'm going to be at church that day and I'm going to profess faith in Christ. Friends, I, I'd never been so proud as a pastor in my whole life. And then I'd never been so discouraged because when confirmation day came, her mother stood beside her and her father coached soccer. Now, I have nothing against soccer. I played lots of soccer. I love soccer. But friends, he made that choice. And she made a choice. Which one led to life? Which one led to life? I think he didn't understand the fine print where his daughter, I know her, I still know her. She didn't play collegiate soccer. She didn't play professional soccer. She didn't make a career out of soccer. And he's not coaching a, a, a women's, uh, the United States women's team, as far as I know. But her faith in Christ stays till this day. Read the fine print, friends. Make sure you know what you're agreeing to. We choose what we do with our lives and how we turn out. So we got to make sure we read the fine print of the agreement. We've also got to make sure that the promiser has power to deliver. 
If you enter into a contract with somebody, you better make sure they can deliver on their end, that they have the power. So these things of the world that offer us life, that say to us, if you have enough money, if you have the right job, if you do enough activities, if you follow after your heart and do this thing, you'll have life. You better make sure it has the the power to deliver on the other side. I was in seminary and I had a teacher that spent an entire week talking about his conversion experience. He had grown up um, an atheist uh, and he had grown up not believing anything. And he said, I spent my whole life chasing what I thought mattered. And he would talk about that thing and he talked about how he gave all of his time and all of his energy to it. He even said he ruined his marriage chasing after it because he was certain he would be satisfied once he got it. And we spent the entire class trying to figure out what it was because he would never tell us. He said, before Jesus got me, I chased this thing and it was seductive and it was powerful and it took up all of my time and my energy. And I thought, wow, what was it? I thought maybe it was another woman or maybe it was his career or maybe it was uh, some trend that he was following and finally at the end of the class he he was telling his story again he goes and I chase after this thing and I finally got it I thought you caught it and he said yeah I caught it and I stood there and I felt empty and I finally looked at him he goes what was the thing what was it that you finally got that made you feel empty he goes we won the recreational men's softball tournament of California I played a lot of softball too. I don't ever remember giving up my life for it. He goes, I felt empty and I looked at him and I wasn't trying to be funny or diminish it. I go, you mean a plastic trophy didn't fulfill your life? And he goes, you got it. Didn't fulfill my life. He goes, and as I stood there empty with nothing but plastic in my hands, looking around at all the other guys who just went home, I thought to myself, there's got to be more to life than this. And he went back to the hotel room and he laid on the bed as low and depressed, saying that he was contemplating uh, suicide. And he opened the desk drawer by the bed in the hotel. And guess what he found? A Bible placed there by the Gideons. And he read it and he said he couldn't put it down. And he got to points where the word said things like today, I set before you today, life and death. You got to pick. You got to choose. God's offering life. But God doesn't force life upon us. We get to pick whatever we want. So here's what I'd say to you, church. Pick something that matters. Pick something that's worthwhile. The, the author of Deuteronomy uses a simple word. He just says, see, see, see. Finally, for the first time in your life, see what's offered. See the fine print and see who's making the promise. And if you see those two things, you will be able to better choose. See what's being promised. See who's promising it. See whether you can hold up your end of the bargain and see what the goal of the arrangement is. 
this, this passage in Deuteronomy reminds me of a poster that they came out with, that the U.S. Army came out with, with Uncle Sam on it. And he pointed and he said, what? I want you. In Deuteronomy, God's basically looking at the people and he's saying to them, what? I want you. We think of the Ten Commandments as a restrictive thing, as rules that, 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 that take away a certain liberty that we have of these things that we now put on courtyard steps to, to, to show people. We think of it as like this, this, this uh, not abusive, but this thing to lord over people. These are the Ten Commandments. You'll follow them. God, friends, the Ten Commandments weren't negative in Deuteronomy. The Ten Commandments were negative in, in, in God's world. The Ten Commandments were life-giving. You, you know why? In the book, Why Sinai Still Matters, uh, it presents a beautiful case that says the Ten Commandments were good news. Because up until then, if you wanted to know your God or gods in the Old Testament, if you wanted to know your God or your gods, what you had to do was you had to, to read the entrails of an animal. Or you had to go to a diviner who could tell you what God said. Or, as was the custom in most of the Old Testament, you had to sacrifice your children. That's how you found out who God was. And when the Israelites got to the mountain where they received the Ten Commandments, you know what God said? I'm about to tell you who I am. If you'll be my people, I'll tell you who I am. And not only will I tell you who I am, I'll tell you what I expect. You won't have to guess anymore. And when I give you these things, just know this. It may sound restrictive, but they lead to life. If you'll put me first, it'll lead to life and you will go into the land which is promised and you'll take possession of it and it'll be a blessing not only to you but to the nations. See, the Old Testament, especially Deuteronomy, is an experiment by God. It's an experiment by God to demonstrate to the other nations around the people of Israel that if you will be God's people, your land and your people will flourish. The land and the people will flourish. God's going to show us how to live. And if we live that way, we'll be a beacon to the nations. Now, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, they did a miserable job of it. We do a miserable job of it ourselves. But here's the thing. God wants you. He's crafted you with a purpose. And that purpose is to be a witness to the world. Those who choose life look different. They act different. They are different, not because of their faith, but because of God's faithfulness. God's forming a people for a divine purpose. It's not too good to be true. It'll cost us. And it's difficult and it seems counterintuitive, but we'll capture the land and be blessed. Not because of the spoils of settlement, but because we'll live into the lives God has created for us. We'll discover ourselves and we'll discover God. And the kingdom of God is where God's presence meets our obedience. In the end, the promise is simple. The contract is simple. If you want to know what it says, you can write this in your notes. You can put it on a 
your refrigerator. What's the covenant? How do we choose life? Here it is, friends. Pretty simple. We'll rescue the world because God's rescued us. We'll rescue the world because God has rescued us. I hope that's what we'll choose today. To see that lives lived in God are never wasted. They're never not used for glory. May God use us in that way. The altars are open this morning. I don't know if you need to agree to God's contract or not. If you've chosen well or not, if you've chosen poorly or not, here's the thing. Until it's over, you can always make new choices. Until time's run out, is always a choice. We can start today making better choices, making godly choices, making the choices that lead to life, the choices that diminish our sinful nature and exalt God's righteousness. Choices where we live into who we're supposed to be. When I was growing up, my mother, when I started dating, my mother was worried about what teenage boys would do with teenage girls. And every time I'd go to leave on a date, my mother would grab me by the arm. My mother's short, but she'd spin me around nonetheless, and she'd look at me. And before she sent me out into the world on, uh, you know, on dates or wherever, she would look at me and she'd go, remember your name? i go, I know my name. And she'd go, what's your name? And I'd tell her my name, and she goes, what's your last name? And I'd tell her, and she goes, you don't just represent you, you represent me. Don't embarrass me. Friends, as you read Deuteronomy, the author of Deuteronomy says, remember your name. Remember whose you are, and as you go out into the world, what does God say? Don't embarrass me. Choose life. Show the world that the people of God live abundant lives, not wealthy lives, not, not blessed lives like we talked about last week, abundant life that only comes through him. If you want to pray silently, we'll pray over you. But if you need more than that, just let us know. But why don't you stand uh, as we sing our closing song this morning. We're going to begin with a prayer. Lord, we don't always choose well. We choose things that we think matter and realize only too late that it didn't matter at all. Lord, give us grace that we might turn from our ways and that the bond and covenant we made with you might last and lead us into that promised land that you've prepared for us, where we can be a witness to the nations of your goodness and your mercy. These things we ask and pray in your name. Amen.